If you could write the script of your life, how would the story go? If you got to set all the details and you've got, you got to control all the variables, how would it go? Most of us have that kind of guiding principle in our minds, and that's what makes us frustrated when things don't go like we think they should. That's what makes us have our expectations for how it will go. We want to control everything, and yet the interruptions are aplenty, aren't they? The things that we don't welcome still come. The things that that we'd like to control become uncontrollable, And, and suddenly the script that we had in our mind is almost chunked as life just comes at us as it will. And how you handle that is where your character is built, and that's where your life is lived and where your faith is shaped. One of my favorite songs is by John Lennon, and he sings this line in it, Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. It doesn't go like you think it's going to go. So how do you live the Christian life, faithful to God, when your ideal is not met? Things aren't, you don't, you don't live in a lab where you control all the variables and live out your Christian life in peace. You've got to live it in the midst of uncertainty and interruption and changes. And you've got to adjust. It's no secret that Paul is one of our heroes of the faith. We are Gentiles after all, and he's our, he's our apostle. And he's the one that cleared the way for us to be in the kingdom, fully vested citizens. But as much as we learn from his pen, his letters... We learn a lot from just his life. And what I want us to do today as we start approaching 2 Timothy is look at how Paul handled when things didn't go like he'd want them to, when he was in a place that he'd rather not be in, namely prison. We're going to look at how Paul handled being in prison. Not that you are going to have a prison experience, but we all end up in places where we'd rather not be. We all end up having things that we'd rather it otherwise be. As I was in COVID a couple weeks ago, it seems like COVID always hit me on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I miss Sunday, right? So COVID happens, and you're forced to go into quarantine. No one wants this. No one likes this. This isn't pleasant for anybody, but you're forced to stop, and you can either be a grumbler, or you can just say to yourself, there's got to be something I can do to redeem this seemingly handcuffed time. So when Paul was handcuffed, completely pun intended, he could not be where he wanted to be, what did he do? When you are in a situation you can't control, you'd rather be otherwise, what do you do? Now COVID is temporary, it's a sad comparison to years in prison, but it is similar in nature. What would Paul have us do? Maybe you, you're married to somebody who has major surgery, and for a season of time, you are slowed down, and you're forced to be still, and you can't be as active as you once were. Maybe you've gotten older, and some limitations have put themselves on you. You're handcuffed by your age or limitations. What do you do? Maybe you've chosen to live in, a, in, a, in an institutional place, where your freedom of mobility isn't what it used to be, what do you do then? Does it matter? Does your Christian life still get lived? Or or does God put you on the disabled list, put an asterisk by your name, and say, I can't expect any kingdom work out of this person anymore? 
Maybe you have a certain disease that hits a certain part of you and you don't have the full range of, 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 of abilities like you used to. Are you now kind of like a substandard kingdom servant? Or, or is Paul showing us that even when you can't be where you want to be and you'd wish things were otherwise, you still need to serve and you still can. Here's how Paul did it. In A.D. 5, Paul was born. That's general. We don't know that for sure. There's no birth certificate, right? He was born sometime 5 A.D., which means he was about the same age as Jesus. Not much difference. A little younger, maybe. He was converted at the age of 25 or 30 on the road to Damascus. You know that story. He was blinded. And at that time, he was given this commission. God says, I want you to take my gospel to the Gentiles. I want you to be the one to pave the way for these non-Jews to come into the kingdom of God. And that man, he said, I'm going to show you how much you've got to suffer to do that. This is no easy assignment, and Paul embraced it. It was his identity, and everything he did flowed out of this job God gave him. And he was a type A personality. You remember that? Stoned outside the city, gets up, and he goes right back in. That's kind of Paul. That's kind of a snapshot of what Paul's like. And that's his intensity and his ownership of this mission. So prison experience number one happens on the second missionary journey, A.D. 50. A.D. 50, so somewhere around that time. He's up there about the 12 o'clock mark on this, on this map. He's, he gets this vision. He thinks it's a man, maybe a woman, because the first convert in, in Philippi is a woman, actually. But this man from Macedonia says, come, preach the gospel to us. He goes over to Philippi, and he meets Lydia, the seller of purple. I heard the mumbles, purple. She's a seller of purple. She becomes a believer. And then... He does something that really angers the people of Philippi, and he's thrown into a prison. And this may be exactly the place where he was, right here. That's what it looked like. It's kind of like in the ground. It's got enough to keep you incarcerated there. But he's put in prison in Philippi. Here he is, fully in the will of God, doing exactly what God asked him to do. He was right where he needed to be, and then he's forced into a timeout, and he's thrown into prison. And I can see him saying, God, what in the world is wrong with you? You asked me to do this, and then you stopped me. You put me in time out. You put me in handcuffs and shackles, and you keep me from doing... That's not how Paul sees it. He decides, if I'm in the will of God and I'm doing the will of God, apparently wherever I am, that's what I need to be doing. And does anybody remember what he was doing, he and Silas together, in the prison while he was forced into this time out? Anybody remember what he was doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying... And my guess is they're praying out loud. They're shackled to the walls, I guess. I don't know how it works, but they're shackled there, and they're praying out loud. I can imagine, I don't know the freedom of mobility. I don't think there probably was any, but he could talk to the other prisoners. Hey, Bubba, or whoever it was, it probably wasn't Bubba. It was probably some kind of foreign name, I don't know, uh, Tychicus or something like that. Anyway, so, so he starts asking these people in prison, hey, what would be a prayer request for you? And of course, everybody would say, get me out of here, I'm innocent. But that, it doesn't matter. He, they, would, they would ask all sorts of things, and he'd start praying for them. And let me ask you this. If, it's okay for you to be honest. Have you ever heard anybody preach in the disguise of a prayer? Anybody ever heard, heard a sermon in a prayer? Anybody? Yeah. And you're probably saying, yeah, the last time you did it, or something like that. It's, it's, we use a prayer. 
to kind of preach truths to people, and that's what Paul was doing, and it says the people were listening to him. He starts praying to God, but he's praying for these people, and it brings them in, praying for their families and their circumstances, and it brings them in, and then praying about God and what he's doing and how he's using this to bring him glory and how he's, he's deserving of all praise and all honor, and he's praying. But they're also doing another thing. They're singing, which I bet you there's not a whole lot of music in a Philippian jail. Yes? Probably not a lot. Don't turn that baby up and listen to some. No, there's, there's no music. And nobody there sings. You don't sing when you're shackled. You just don't do that. But Paul and Silas do. Silas would yell out the number, hey, 728B. And Paul knew exactly what that was. And he would just start launching into a song. What song do you think it was? Obviously, you know, I, I think of places I'd like to go back and watch the video of. This is the one I'd like to go hear the audio of. I'd like to hear what they're singing. What would, we, what would you sing if you were shackled? What would you sing? I got to thinking about this, our different song leaders, what they would lead. Danny would be like, Give the world a smile each day, helping someone on their way. Right? Uh, and, and, and they would just look around at each other and smile. I don't know if that would be great in a prison. But anyway, that would be a song he would do. Matt Horner would be, Blessed Be Your Name. I can hear him. And he would really stress when there's... When there's, when there's pain in the offering, Mitchell, there's a shaking deep within me, right? And all of a sudden there is, there's an earthquake and it shakes the whole place and the shackles are, are, are lifted off. And Matt Michener, make us an instrument of thy peace. That's an amazing, that'd be an amazing song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the scriptures tell me so. This old place is going fast. You better repent or you won't last. You know, something like that. I don't know what they were singing, but they just let it go. They're sitting there praying. They're, they're praying out loud, and it says the people were listening, and the prisoners were listening. I mean, they were a captive audience in every way. Not, and so why not? Is prayer and is singing evangelism? Apparently so. In fact, you know, the verses we often talk about as condemning instruments or whatever, those aren't even worship texts. Those are texts about all of life. And, and apparently, like when James is talking about this, anybody sick, he should praise. Anybody happy, let him sing songs of praise. And he wasn't talking about our corporate assembly. He's talking about in your life. And so I think people sang more. And I think we sing a lot. And just think of all the times music plays a part in your life, but you didn't have radio back then. What do you do? You create it. And so here Paul is using this time. And you might say, hey, that's, you're wasting time, and you're having them be here, and they're not able to do any ministry. What? What do you mean not able to do any ministry? They're doing a bit, uh, every bit of ministry they could if they were free. So that whenever the earthquake does happen and they get out, the jailer comes up and says, I want what you all got. Not just in your praying and your singing, although the act itself is an amazing testament, but the words that they were sharing in tune and the words that they were sharing in prayer touched the heart. And he's like, how do you, in the middle of a jail, they'd just been whipped, they'd just been beaten pretty badly, and there they are bleeding with open wounds, and they're singing, and they're praying, and they're praying specific things that people understood. And when they had a chance, they went up and asked him, and of course, they ended up converting the jailer, right? That's an amazing scene. That's what you do when you can't be where you want to be. There's a third thing, too. He was planning on what to do next. 
Now, here's how you know that. Paul is sitting there in a prison going, I'm a Roman citizen, and they just beat me, and they didn't do a trial first. And they just put me in jail, and they didn't do a trial first, and that's illegal. What am I going to do about that? So here all the Philippian people come, the, 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 the officials of the area come, and they say, Paul, we're just going to let you all out. Just go on out and leave. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, get out of there. Here's your chance to go. And Paul says, uh-uh, not so fast. You did this illegally. I have rights. You are going to give us, you're going to walk us out of here. You're going to give us an escort to the city gates. Now, why in the world would Paul be hung up about that? He's leaving behind a church that is under suspicion because of what happened to Paul, and he wants that suspicion lifted. He wants it exhausted. He wants it done. And so as the leaders of the city walk them out and they're apologizing, and we're so sorry, everybody in Philippi hears about it or sees it, and they realize he was unjustly, they were unjustly in prison, and it takes away the suspicion for the church that is left behind. He knows what he's doing. He's thought about that while he's in jail. How am I going to use this thing to bless the church? You ever... Do you ever determine an action you're going to take just based on how it will help the church? You ever do that? We should think in those terms. Well, you know, basically that was, that was it. And that was just a very short time. It was a very, a, a very temporal time. Uh, but a little bit later, uh, we go back to the chronicle chronology of Paul's life about seven years later he's preaching in Jerusalem not he's preaching in Jerusalem he's just arrested in Jerusalem and he knew it was happening there was a prophet named Agabus who told him this is going to happen and God says I'm going to have you in Rome and so Paul knows that Rome's coming up but it's in Jerusalem where he's arrested and this time it's much more substantial this time it's much longer because he's two years in Caesarea and then two years in Rome as a result of this arrest so four years of his life is taken out, right? This happens in 57 and goes to the year 61. So for four years now, he is going to be stopped, not able to do all the things he wants to do. What do you do when for four years you're incapacitated to the extent that you'd like to be active? What are you going to do? And here's what he does. He shares his life and testimony with the people he's around, and it's weird people that he would never otherwise be around. You see, when he has to tell his life story, the only explanation for Paul's life story is the gospel. It is so central that it rearranged everything, and if he's going to defend himself and tell his story, he's going to have to tell the gospel. And do it. Here's my question. If you can only really talk about your life story by also featuring the gospel... Is that true for anybody? The only really w good way you can describe your life, you have to tell the gospel because it re-centers your life. Is anybody like that? It is so central to your life, I can't tell you about me without talking about Jesus. Is that true of anybody in here? I can't really tell you. Why do you live the way you do? Why did you marry who you married? Why do, you why, why do you do the things you do and the way that you do them? It's all about Jesus as a centerpiece. And the only way Jesus, that Paul could tell his story and defend himself is to talk about Jesus. And so everywhere he does. And in this first round, this first half of this, 
In the book of Acts, he shares his, his story in the gospel with Governor Felix, a governor, a, a, polit- a, a politician, Festus, Agrippa, Bernice. They were all the ones He's sharing. The, these people would never otherwise have heard the gospel if it weren't for this. And then, and then God says, you're going to go on to Rome. And he does. He gets an all-expense-paid trip to Rome, and it's very adventurous. It would be like when you tell your life story, this, this is really cool. And he gets shipwrecked, and he lands on Malta. And for several weeks, he's able to stay on Malta and preach the gospel to this, this island that he never otherwise would have gone to. Isn't that strange? And it gets weirder than that when he lands in Rome. He's still sharing the gospel. There's these two notes. These two notes we have from the New Testament that can only be explained this way. Here's the first one. Paul writing back to the Philippians. We'll get to this in a second. Philippians was written while he was in prison in Rome. He says this. He says, greet every saint in Jesus Christ. I want you to greet each other. The brothers who are with me. Paul says. He's got some around him. He's under house arrest. The ones who are with me greet you. And then he says this line, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You know who Caesar is, right? The main guy in the world. How does the main politician of the entire world have believers in his household? How can that happen in Rome? It has to be through Paul preaching and the things that he's doing. It's an amazing. Now, here's a side note. How did, how did Rome get torn apart by a pair of Caesars? Caesars, scissors. Lost on you people. Anyway, next one. Here's the next one. This is a story that, that we don't talk about much. It's the entire book of Philemon. And here's Paul writing to Philemon. This is another one written while he's in prison in Rome. He says, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, Philemon. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my, my child, child in the faith, Onesimus. His name means useful. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. How did Paul ever get to know Onesimus so that he would write Philemon, which lands in our Bible, and help to end slavery. How in the world did he do that? He was in prison. Onesimus came to know him. He converted Onesimus, and all of a sudden it led to this thing, this huge thing that ended up happening. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's useful. He's using a play on his word, uh, on his name. For I'm sending him back to you, sending you my very heart. I love him, and he's serving me. I would have been glad to keep him with me, that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. While Paul is in jail, don't sit there thinking he's feeling sorry for himself, and woe is me, and I just can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I just, why is this happening to me? Oh, well. No, he's not. He's doing what he he can and he's changing the world when things are less than ideal while he's in prison he wrote important letters that strengthened the church of that time and still blesses us he wrote Philippians Colossians Philemon and Ephesians some of the best material we get to meditate on and strengthen our spiritual lives. The reason it's there is prison gave him a time to write it, and he wrote these letters that are rich in your life. What can you do when you're not where you'd rather be? He strategized plans for what he was going to do after he got out. 
He knew at the end of Romans, we don't have Luke volume 3. I think he intended to write one, but we just end the book of Acts with Paul in prison. We don't know the end of the story, but Paul gives glimpses all the way through the book of Philippians in particular where he knew he was getting out. He knew it was going to be a favorable verdict. And he was already planning what he's going to do. You know what he's going to do when he gets out? One of them, he wants to go to Rome really bad. You see that in the book of Romans. He wants to go meet with the church in Rome. I said Rome. He's wanting to go to Spain. And so the Spain is like the western you know, part of the world. He wants to go all over the world to preach. Did he get there? We don't know. I think, I'd like to think he does. But he also tells the Philippians he's going to come there and meet with them in person. And I, I'm pretty sure he does that. But he's not just sitting there wasting his time. He's planning, when I get out of this mess, on the other side of this, and do you know what I think our greatest mistake was in COVID? We didn't use the COVID time to plan the after-COVID time. We didn't do it. We were sitting here pining away. When are we going to get back to normal? Back to normal? Let's go forward to something even better. Why are we not planning this on the other side? We were so busy, ropes and masks and getting mad at each other and frustrated. Let's look at what's on the other. We're not planning this. When you're in a spot where you're limited for a time, plan out what you can do on the other side of this. Plan out what you can do. One other thing that I find just fascinating is why the scripture reading, so well done by John, great reading. And Paul worked on his personal faith in prison. He wasn't where he wanted to be. He didn't like it. It was uncomfortable. But he decided, I'm going to use this. And here's how he did it. Next screen. Keep going. I want you to know, brothers, this is a general thing. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me in the prison has really served to advance the gospel. What? Yeah, he's in prison. He says, you know what? This has been good. What are you talking about? You don't, nobody wants to be in prison, Paul. You're, you're getting colds all the time. It's musty. Yeah, I know. And to me, it really served to advance the gospel so that this has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that they, the imprisonment is for Christ. You, this is what he can say, y'all. This was good. You know why? Because we read in Philippians chapter 1, it emboldened other people to preach. These people... These people who, who were sitting there going, let's just let Paul do it. Paul's the big guy. Let him do it. And, and, and they let Paul do it. You may recall that when you were waiting for the preacher from Kenneth to get here, do you remember this six years ago? Everybody was griping and complaining and taking him forever to decide. Do you know what you were doing in the meantime? You were having some people to get up and preach that don't normally preach. We need somebody to fill in the pulpit uh, because... because you know, we don't know what he's going to do. We need to go ahead and do And you develop some leadership during that. They were waiting on Paul to preach, and Paul's in prison. They're going, so let's get out. So these people started getting out and preaching. These people are emboldened to preach while I'm stuck here. This is a good thing. You know what else he learned? Contentment. Contentment. That passage you just heard, so well read. I've learned in whatever circumstance thereby to be content. He was writing from a Roman prison. It took prison for Paul to figure out the secret to being content. That if I have Christ, I can be in any circumstance and I'm okay. You can't learn that 
in prosperity. You can't learn that when you're in control of the script and you've got your life planned out and everything goes just exactly the way you want to and you wake up every day and oh God, the day is, the day is great. It has to, you, have, you can only learn this through adversity. You've got to go straight through the midst of it. You've got to experience that hunger and you've got to experience the prosperity and you've got to experience when you have everything you want and when you can barely get anything that you need and when you have lots of people loving you and you have, everybody seems to be deserting you. You've got to have all this in order to learn that. And Paul is using prison time to be more Christ-like. We are wasting time when we experience adversity and all we do is gripe and complain and whine and have self-pity and just kind of endure it until this is all over. You're wasting valuable time. Learn to be content. It takes prison for that. He learned how to Delegate. You know why elders do deacons' jobs? I'm in trouble because I'm offending deacons and elders all at once. You know why? Elders think if it's going to get done right, I got to do it. They don't trust them. And so there they go doing that job, and they don't let anybody else. And listen, even if, even if something doesn't get done exactly the way you want to and just perfectly, let them be empowered to do it and give them the authority to do it and let them, let them grow. They will never grow without that, even the failure that comes with that. But Paul, Paul is a control freak. He wants to do everything himself, and you know what? He can't. So God puts him in jail and says, learn to delegate, Paul. Learn to delegate. And tell me that Jesus didn't do this too. On the night he was betrayed, he said, I'm going to give you something better. Better than me. Do you remember this? I'm going to give you something better than me. And you're like, better than Jesus? Yes. Better than one Jesus being on earth is a whole community of spirit-filled people. That's what's going to change the world, not just Jesus being here for 3,000 years trying to get people. No, no. When all his people out there full of God's presence in the Spirit get out there and do their stuff. But if we don't ever live by the Spirit, we're failing him. And sometimes it takes limitations not being where you'd like to be or circumstances that you'd, your druthers are to be otherwise. It takes that to figure this out. And he learns all this while sitting in a prison, wishing he were somewhere else. You ever been there? The opportunities that we waste by not using that time are enormous. That's the end of the story as far as we know because Acts doesn't record what happens after that. What happens to Paul? He's so convinced he's being released that I'm sure he was. And then you come to First and Second Timothy and Titus. They are after Acts. There's no, they don't fit into the Acts narrative. And what you find is happening after this is Paul is released from prison in AD 61. He is released in prison. And we don't know if he gets to Spain or not, but here's what we do know, right? He's released from prison in AD 61. And what we learn from these other letters, he goes to Ephesus and he stays there a while, but he wants to leave Timothy there. And he leaves Timothy in, in Ephesus. So we know this happens. 
And by the way, this was all planned while he's in four years of prison. He was planning this out, trying to figure And then he went to Crete, and he couldn't stay there for as long as he needed to be, and so he leaves Titus there and later on writes him there. He visited Troas, right, on the, on the shores. And then he wintered in Nicopolis, and he asked Titus to come to him. We get this from the book of Titus. And he went to Miletus, and there he was arrested the second time. I say second time. It's actually his third time, but the second big imprisonment. And that's where 2 Timothy appears, the last letter of Paul, the final words of our hero. And he's again in prison, and the entire demeanor is different. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he gave his defense of himself all alone, no one to stand with him. And he's knowing, he knows this is it. This is not going to be the positive result that the first imprisonment was. He is on borrowed time. And he dies in A.D. 67. So what does he do when he's in prison? And this time it's not like house arrest. This time it's in real prison. And he's really shackled and he knows he's doomed. What do you do when it's your last little bit? Do you just, you know, do you just kind of go inward and forget the world? That's not what Paul does. Paul decides, I've got to write a note. I've got to write a letter to my friend Timothy. And thank God it didn't just go to Timothy. Thank God it's existed throughout history for all of us because here's what Paul knows. While it's going to kill me here in just a little bit of time, they're going to go after all the Christians and the world is going to attack the Christian faith and the world is going to try to minimize and villainize the Christian faith and the pressure is going to build on those after me. The people, I'm not just talking about preachers out there, I'm talking about my son Timothy and I'm talking about my son Titus and I'm talking about John Mark and I'm talking about these people I love. They are going to face incredible scrutiny and persecution because of what, and I've got words of experience to tell them and I want to share it with them and God made sure that we've got them because we live in the exact same kind of world you won't be beheaded you will just be ignored and villainized by your culture and he uses this time for a final word but it's not just words of preaching it's words of experience flowing out of this guy who's thought about this and he's got the character of Christ and he's got the mind of Christ and he's got the love for the church and he writes a final letter that's to us that we'll be talking about next time. If I could write the script and God gave me the pen that would create the future, it would be a different future than the one we're in right now. The different time. I would make Christians be respected in the world because we are salt and light and we're making the world a better place and we are better for the welfare of the world by living a Christian life rather than being mocked and ridiculed and villainized in everything in our culture and every book that's written and every kind of moral movement that flows out of our culture right now and media, I would change it all. But I'm not the author of the script. And I would make sure that as our kids go back to school this week, they won't be made fun of and they won't be belittled because of a Christian faith they're trying to live out when their language is different and their behavior is different. They won't be made fun of. That's the kind of world I would create. 
And the kind of world I would create would be the ones where the temptations that just trip up Christians at every turn and make us drift off from the faith and water down our saltiness. That stuff would be held at bay and we could easily be strong, but that's not the world we live in. I don't write the script and neither do you. We've been given a calling into a world that doesn't appreciate what we have and yet we've got to hold on to it and it's not an excuse for us to give it up lightly and become more like the world than the church. It's not an excuse. Paul doesn't say, well, since it's so tough, that's okay, church. It's okay. Just kind of do the best you can. I don't write the script. Neither do you, but we live in this world and we're called to be salt and light right within this world and to live out the Christian calling in a world that doesn't appreciate us. That's where we are, and that's the mission we've been called to do, and this week will matter. This week and how you live and how you talk and how you dress and how you behave is going to matter in that war. And you don't have a right to alter it to make it a little easier for yourself. We're going into 2 Timothy starting next week where he starts saying, this is going to be tough, guys, and here's how you do it. But before he ever told us how he's doing it, Paul showed us how to do it. His life is a record of actually living out a holy life in the midst of a world that doesn't appreciate it at all. And may you strive to do the same. May you embrace and accept that challenge. It is enormous. We all compromise in various ways, but may we do it in a way that reflects repentance and a desire to get this right and to stay in this and be who God called us to be for this generation that's upon us right now. We don't write the script, but we live out of God's scripture. If there's anyone who needs to respond to the gospel this morning, I want you to know you're coming to a gospel that says, come forward and die. Deny yourself. Say no to yourself and everything the world wants to and follow Jesus. So most of you who are even considering it should reconsider. But if you're still determined, this is a church that strives to live like this, imperfectly by the grace of God, and if this is where you want to be, and this is the call you want to embrace, the, the response is, is available to you to come forward, name the name of Jesus, be immersed, and go out there and die. And if you've embraced that, but for some reason you've allowed the world to kind of mute you, you and the, whole, and the, and the entire sanctity of your own spirit and mind can change that right now and put the mute, mute button off and start being real again. But if you need the prayers of this church or the help of this church, we stand ready to receive you. Whatever it is you need to do, this is the call upon your life this week. As we stand, as we sing.